0: welcome to everything house music and more and today's guest we have mr joe smooth legendary hey joe how you doing bro i'm good i'm good how you doing all right so we just gonna jump into it man like how we always do so joe you're introduced to quincy jones and he says man i know you you're that house music guy
1: now tell me what is house music musically to you what is house music musically to me yes so first i'd have to say um uh, house music musically is based on um one the the rhythm i think house music is geared towards uh the dance floor the dancers i think it's about um uh it's making the music DJ accessible, DJ friendly, um, is the base for it. Right. So, so that's what you're gonna tell Quincy once you meet him. Huh? Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. That's what I told him when I met him. Oh, oh wow! See, look at that. We didn't know <laughs> so, that. Okay. So you know, um, and then it's the, it's the embodiment of. Uh, most house music is based off of very like soulful vibes. Right. It's a feeling. Right. It's um, it's it's uh oh. Keep on, keep on, keep on. It's like um, what, like as a DJ, almost what I would want to experience if I was dancing on the floor. You right. know, um, separate from like, I guess like pop records, commercial records, music. Uh, you know R&B records you hear on the radio. Right. I think um as a DJ, you know, I'm I'm looking for uh the mood, right, creating an atmosphere with the music. Um and something like I said that that translates well on the dance floor. It's really for me it's about the dancers. It's about giving the dancers something that they can they can feel.
0: Okay, all right. So Joe for for the people that really don't know your history, what was your first song or track you produced or made?
1: The first song I produced, okay. So the first song I produced was um, actually was a set of like rhythm tracks. They didn't really have a name to it, okay. You know, back in the uh, in the early '80s, when um, I would say like samplers and drum machines became more affordable, right? You know, I was DJing back at uh, at Smart Bar, okay. So I would just. I would take my uh, the drum machine, and uh, I had one of the first Mirage and Sonic keyboards. Oh, wow. Okay. So I would take that into Smart Bar, and I would just create songs oh, wow. while I was DJing. On the fly? On the fly, okay. right. And okay. so a lot of that stuff was the, you know, I would play that stuff to people. With, you know, if it was a certain song that people got into, right. that became something that I would add into my set and stuff, you know, regularly oh, wow. while I was playing.
0: So, so did you make a track just for the Smart Bar while you was DJing there before?
1: Um, yeah. And that's something I've I've kind of carried over as the years go go on. Like okay. when I go do parties and stuff now. Right. I create songs for the party. So so that was
0: your so you was doing that before Promised Land. So Oh Prom- yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: So that was eighty three. That was eighty three. <laughs> right. Okay, okay. So, um So, so how
0: that, how were you introduced to the culture of house music before it was a genre?
1: So house so Right. It it wasn't a genre then. <laughs> right, right. 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 So what? So what? Did it what ended up happening was Smart Bar with me playing, the way that I did in Smart Bar. Okay. um, Chip came in. Chippy. Chippy. Chip Everhart. Okay. So Chip came in and um, and he knew I had a Marantz keyboard and he was trying to put an EP together. Right. And um, so he asked if I'd come in and help him with the EP. So. That's how uh, the whole Jack Tracks thing ended up happening. Okay. So it was with Chip was coming in. Um it was eighty beginning of eighty four. Beginning eighty four, okay. So um so that so a lot of DJs used to come to Smart Bar. Right and they would kinda uh you know, Smart Bar was up on the north side and they would kinda take the stuff back to the south side. Okay. So when Chip came in, so like for me, uh So was was the north side more predominantly white crowd? Yeah in the club? Yeah. Okay. Um, and as far as Smart Bar, Smart Bar was really an eclectic kind of right. kind of club. It was it was predominantly white, but there was a good mixture of people okay. that would and go this to Smart was like Bar in eighty. 80s in 80s, then. In 80s. Okay. so Smart Bar opened in eighty two. Right. So when the house DJ left from Smart Bar, Joe Shanahan asked me if I wanted to start, you know, take his place in and DJ and stuff. Okay. Know? So I started started spinning there. Okay. So, so how
0: old were you at the time?
1: So. I can't do math. <laughs> one plus one is two. Two plus two is four. Oh, we don't want to tell Joe. So <laughs> Joe is timeless, y'all. He's timeless. Right. So, um, so for me, you know, when people talk about like the uh, the warehouse and you know, it, uh, house music getting to start at the warehouse and stuff right. like that, Smart Bar is almost more influential for house music to me because this is where Time to Jack kind of came from. Oh wow. Okay. And um, and so. Um, you know, a lot of people don't under, don't realize that what we started doing in Chicago, you know, eighty three, eighty four, right. um, came after the warehouse. The warehouse actually closed in eighty two. Okay. So Chicago house music was never really played at the at warehouse. At the warehouse, okay. You know, so you know that's so that's part of like the confusion with with house music, right? 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 <laughs> you know, and its in its origins.
0: Okay, so since it's, it's we're gonna go there with that. Mm-hmm. So, where did the name House Music come from?
1: So, so at that time, I think uh, we you're dealing with dealing with teenagers, basically. Okay. And so you had your parties on the South Side. You had your parties, teen parties, the high school parties. You know, stuff that was going on like the 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 Aragon, the Bismarck. Right. You know, hotels and stuff like that. And so on the street, um, and some of the record the record stores, you know, uh, what was in the what would end up happening is um, like uh, imports, etc. The, the shops like that, right? They would post stuff as music. This is music that's played at the warehouse or played okay. at uh, you know house parties, like right. with house music parties. So. So the name kind of organically morphed, into, morphed, right? Right, came from the warehouse. Just like these are the songs that are being played at this place. Right. But what happened was, um, was we as young producers and DJs right. took the name um, of the music that was being played there and kind of created a genre that that was different than what the music was played. But it was like what our interpretation of the of a style of music that we was we were creating as djs you know stuff for us to play at the clubs um it was just like additional stuff that we could have um that maybe somebody else the other djs didn't have you know just kind of creating our own lane
0: that's good that you said it because wayne williams said Mm -hmm. in his in my last interview with him coming out of his house so they called it house music. So they were they,
1: literally calling disco house music.
0: Well, there was some people who probably disagree with you about that. So, you you, well, saying, you saying the term house music didn't come from the warehouse. No, man. No, 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 no. It came from people just playing music in their house.
1: Uh, having parties of disco music in their house. There's a lot of confusion.
0: So, so let's, <laughs> let's try to clear that up because I'm, I'm trying to so, clear that up. So, Wayne says that house music didn't come from the warehouse. What? And you saying that it did.
1: Right. So, so the problem comes in, there's, there's different sec- sections of the city. Correct. You know? Right. And so one person's experience might not be the other person's experience. Correct. Um, if, if you weren't somebody who, like I didn't really frequent the warehouse. Okay. You know, I went there a couple of times, um, and it was music that was being played at the warehouse. Right. You know, um, I won't say there were so many house parties that, you know, at people's houses that... Uh, people would say, okay, this is house part because it's being played at somebody's house. Right. So, I mean, like I said, there was different elements that created this whole situation with house. You know, like I said, the record stores was, were posting music. This is music that is played at the warehouse. Right. Um, or that would have been played at the warehouse because, you know, the warehouse, you had disco, you had um, you could be playing some uh, Pink Floyd. You could right. be playing rock music. You could so, be playing wh- the,
0: what year did the warehouse close at this time? Eight eighty two.
1: So it closed at eighty two. So,
0: so Jamie's record wasn't really playing. It wasn't, at, it wasn't playing at the warehouse no, at the time. The Power Plant. It was playing at the Power Plant. Right. Okay, gotcha. So, were you playing Jamie Principles, Your Love back back in eighty
1: yeah. three? Yeah, you were. Uh-huh. So,
0: how'd you get it from Jamie?
1: So now, Smart Bar. Okay, was um. I played like a lot of eclectic music. Okay. So like a lot of these DJs, Frankie would come up to the. Frankie played at Smart Bar. Okay. You know there was a, there was in a the eighties. Yeah, there okay. was a there was a uh, like a private room on the third floor in Metro, right. and we would do like after hour parties and stuff okay. like that. And Frankie would come and do after hour parties, but Frankie would come to Smart Bar. Right. Ron Hardy would come to Smart Bar. Farley would come to Smart Bar. A lot of the DJs from the South Side would come to the Smart Bar, right. and and um, and a lot of times they would get hear different music that they weren't hearing on the top Side and take it back to the parties. Okay. You know, I would get like a lot of test pressings uh, of like, you know, stuff like when Frankie Goes Hollywood came oh, out. Wow. When Okay. Uh, you know, I, I would get the test pressings and right. stuff before a lot of the other people get stuff like that. Testing them up up
0: there on the North Side, right? right? Right. Okay. So, Chip has often claimed Jack Track's EP was the first house record because of the first, it's, it was the first record that says house in it. Do you agree with that?
1: I'd have to agree with this. <laughs> now, it, now the so, reason so the
0: Jack Tracks EP is the first house record.
1: I would I would agree that it is really the first house record. Okay. So, you know, you have on and on. Um, so but, so no no
0: so I, we got on a, so why would you say that Jack Tracks was the first house record?
1: Because it was really the first record that, that kind of embraced the culture of house music. Okay. You know, this the whole EP was about it was you know Chip was into marketing and all right, that kind right, of right. stuff. And the whole um, base around that was just to clarify what this music was. You know, uh, you got his time to Jack, you got his house, you right.
0: know. Yeah, which is that. <laughs> you know, yeah.
1: it said this is what this music is, right. you know. So it's kind of like, it was kind of like a defining point.
0: Right, You okay. know, telling people exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in, in, in that Jack track session that you did, mm-hmm. what was your part in there and what was Chip part?
1: Chip. Walked in the door and opened the door. No, no, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. So, so it was it was really uh, uh, Eric E.T. Taylor, okay. Chip, right, um, and Kirk Landrum, myself. Okay, and so we all played part um, in in the whole Jack Tracks uh, okay. EP. So um, my part, like I had keyboards. I was probably one of the only guys who played keyboards. One of the only DJs who actually could play. Right, you know, so. Um, so that was kind of my part, was, uh, getting the music together so that the music was, was, um, was okay. right. So w- did um, you
0: actually help produce it, or you just, yeah, was, it, was yeah, it, okay, yeah, you did. Yeah, so
1: it was help, help uh, the productions out oh, in okay. that, um, ship, did some drum, drum programming, right think, you know, everybody, everybody involved did something, you know, with the, you know, like his house was, it was just something crazy I came with, baseline wise and stuff like that, right. um. At the time I was doing, um, so with the Mirage, I would hook up the drum machine, right. and you know with the drum machines at that time. Well now too, you know with the keypads you can assign notes to the to the yeah. pads. So I was just doing, keeping in the scale and just oh, kind of wow. coming to okay. something crazy for the So was, was for the baseline. mostly all
0: the gear you was using yours or was it rented or?
1: Um, mine and then the, uh, uh, Chip brought the 808 in okay. with the, um, so yeah, it was. It's basically just a couple of pieces of equipment. It was oh, wow. Predominantly, my on the sampling stuff, keyboards well, see, and that's stuff like that. A lot of
0: people don't know that you know. It's always Chip <laughs> as the front person for it. Yeah. So people don't really know the behind the scenes. Right. You know, so that's like me.
1: You that's me doing you. time to jack. On right. That. So that's it's my real. voice. Right. Right. Get out of it here. Just tune down time you, to jack. Did right. you get credit
0: for that as a writer uh, No. <laughs> oh wow.
1: So you never. You get know, people know people. You know, people randomly know there was a there was a situation where Tony Mandaka from. Uh, imp, uh, imports right. like oh uh, chip came in with a tape recorder and uh, heard me say time to j- uh, time to jack and recorded it and used my voice but that was me on the Time that was to you jack,
0: on it. right wow so see I mm-hmm. didn't even know that either yeah. man wow okay just so if you could only pick one beside yourself which Chicago DJ had the most influence on Chicago house music was it Frankie Ron Hardy Farley Keith Steve Hurley or Lil Lewis in, in your opinion?
1: The most influence on house music—it's um, tough one. That is a tough one uh, because influence. So, influentially, yeah. I would I would have to go with Frankie, Frankie. just because he was a, a good ambassador for the music. Okay. you know, globally he was a good ambassador for the music. Right. You know, everybody else, I think. Ron played a part in the underground. I think Ron was more supportive of Chicago house music okay. in Chicago. I think he played it more in the underground clubs. Frankie was a little more vocal, more right. you know, vocal DJ. So he right. wasn't really being on the tracks. Correct. Um. But on a, on a global scale, um, Frankie was was. Um, he you know he was touring globally and supporting the music. Right. On a on a bigger scale than any of the other DJs from Chicago. Okay,
0: so that's your answer. Thank you, yeah. mm-hmm. Okay, so after Drag Tracks, you later became a staff producer for the label DJ International. How how did that association come about, and like why not Tracks, and why you just went with DJ International?
1: So, back in the so after. You know, Chip and I did the Jack Track CB. So, right. you know, initially Chip was, you know, selling the record out the trunk of the car and okay. you know going to the places and, and that. But at a point, um, then that that the man became really big for for the record, So right. we needed some more, um, you know, distribution. Okay. And um, Rocky offered that distribution um, channel oh, for really? the EP. So okay. that's so that's how I ended up over there with with the international and. Me being the guy who could play keyboards right. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. most of the guys who came in needed help working on their projects Correct. so I ended up working on a um, a majority of the you know Tyree fast Eddie, you know most of the original guys from DJ ended up working on a lot of the oh, projects
0: wow. okay so um, tell us about your early relationship with Rocky Jones and um did he give you an opportunity and did he take advantage of you also? that Rocky Because it was known that he took advantage of of such set of artists, you know, fast-headed everybody that was on the label.
1: So so Rocky did give people an opportunity because at that time um, there weren't a lot of record labels in Chicago um, interested in doing house music (laughs) or dance music. So, you know, Rocky, coming from a DJ background, kind of saw saw the future of what was, gonna, what was going on with the music. Right. And um, so me coming in there, um, you know, I, I got to work with a lot of great people, got to, um, you know, I was doing a lot of the engineering and stuff and it gave me an opportunity to, to hone my skills right. as a producer, engineer, um, writer, artist. And, um, and so as far as Rocky taking advantage, I think Rocky um, was business oriented, but not the greatest business man. <laughs> and um, I think a lot of um, a lot of what happens with people, as far as saying that they were taken advantage of, it, it's almost like. All the record companies in the world take advantage of you. Right, right, right. <laughs> you right. know, and it's really on you to kind of be versed in in the music, uh, in the music business. Right. You know, we so were kids that, back then.
0: At that time, were you diverse in the music industry? No, so you didn't know anything? Either. Not really. Okay. But
1: I had common sense. <laughs> right, right. So one thing that I did do was my initial contract with Rocky. Okay. Um, I put a clause in there. That said, um, any music that was done before signing this contract, right. <laughs> you don't have any rights to it. Oh wow! Okay, so, you so like Promise Land and all that <laughs> was done before I actually signed the contract. Really? Right. So, um, so he never really actually had the rights to it. Okay. But the way I looked at it, as long as things were being handled properly, right. I wasn't going to make an issue out of it. Right. You was good with it. Right. So,
0: Until you, you, so you were actually uh, actually a lot more educated than most of the kids when everybody was starting releasing records so yeah do you know that regarding the unfair contracts and did you go along with that were you telling everybody at the time like let's say i don't think you
1: should do this or what i did tell some people that you know whether they wanted to listen to a, a lot of the a lot of the guys back then were really just interested in releasing a record they just wanted to know, that
0: record
1: out, and get some okay. quick money and release a record Right. And, um, and I was fine with a lot of the stuff that was happening until I started to travel to Europe. Right. And then I used to talk to the, a lot of the record company people who Rocky did business with. Right. And they would give me a little more insight into what was actually happening. Because back in the States here, you, didn't
0: know what was you would,
1: on. right, when your publishing came from BMI, you know, ASCAP, right. you know, you might get a check for uh, $30, right, you know. Right, right, You know, so <laughs> you so, so that's what you're saying. You say, okay, so this stuff's not doing good right. anywhere. exactly. Until I got over there and I started seeing what you know, he had other deals that were doing, so the money was generating, being generated, but it wasn't trickling back to the states, you know. So, so at that point, um, I had approached Rocky and said, Rocky, um, you know, just for accounting purposes, I wanna, you know, find out what um, what my music is doing, you know, and. Did
0: he give it to he you? made
1: he made a statement uh-huh. he said joe you know how long do you think you should be getting paid for this music Oh wow! <laughs> and so for me it was like how long should you be getting paid right, for this right, music right. so after that i kind of did a did a little more due diligence into right. it okay. and um you know we went to court and and you know i got all the rights to all my music okay Back. and so you know then I became handling my, my oh, wow. own business you know okay.
0: so at that time you know you kind of shaped DJ International at that time too did Rocky ever come to you as like trying to be a partner like how Larry did with Vince Lawrence at the time with Tracks Records
1: so that was, a, that was a, a problem for me too you okay. know I'm here helping him you know make things happen right. and it really never was brought to me to say well let's do a partnership you know um and then also talking with these record companies that he was doing deals with. A lot of the guys were like, uh, you know, we're only doing business with Rocket because we like what you're doing. Right. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, so that became, a, you know, uh, it didn't split us, but it just became a thing. Like, let me be a little more cautious with you know, right. my so business you, you dealings. Yeah,
0: you was like in the back of your head. You was like, uh, he, <laughs> yeah, I know what he's doing, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and um, do some different do things. Do my own thing. Right. Back. right. Okay. So your biggest record to date as an artist yourself is Promised Land. Tell us in detail how that came about and why it's a feature and not just a record release on just the singer. So, or the artist, I should okay. say. Okay,
1: so originally Promised Land came about. So we went on a, a tour, like through Europe. And uh, while we were on tour, this is before Promised Land, or, you know, this so was. Was like,
0: it a DJ National tour? DJ International tour. Oh, wow, okay.
1: And um, so we went um, around Europe. Okay. Um, and a lot of, and you, you get to places where, you know, you get to Italy, Switzerland, you know, you get to places where their main language isn't English. Right. So the way that we were received, um, regardless of, you know, the language of the songs and the way that people um, reacted to the music just showed me that, you know, music was, uh, was greater than the language barriers, than, you know, the cultures. Right. And um, and so for me, it was like an experience, like wow, you know, um, you know, music is so universal, um, and I wanted to write something that kind of uh, it told they, of the experience of my experience okay. on that tour.
0: So you, you wrote you wrote, wrote wrote the lyrics and yeah. wrote the music completely, right? Okay, right. so you're 100 percent
1: on that one, right? Okay, so. So what happened is um, when I got back to the states, right. I sat down and said, "Okay, let me write something, of something off of that experience." Right. And I, I think it's like it was a, a God-inspired yeah. creation, you right. know, something right. it just came to me, and um, and my idea was to make it, make it like a classic record. Right. So you know, I used to listen to like Motown and yeah. you know Stevie Wonder, you know, a lot of stuff like that, and so for me. I listened to a whole bunch of Motown records. Okay. And so tried to see how they were produced and stuff like that and their arrangements and all that. And so I kinda took that and said, Let me translate this <laughs> into house you know, something oh, I, that we would do. So so that's where my my writing direction came from. Okay. Um and then when I when I originally did originally I sang the record. Okay. Okay. So I can sing it like if I was gonna right, go right, right. you know, Demo it out. Go out right. and right. Right. And then Anthony had done a record for me, um, this record going down. Okay. Um, back at before Promised Land. Right. So Anthony had done a song I was familiar with, Don Connolly, um, and I just won I heard certain tones and textures on the record. Right. And so I so I got them both to do parts on it and then I did you know, so we all three of us are on the record, right. singing on the record. And I just had them sing it how I would sing it so I kind of just produced the vocals because Anthony sings a certain way and Don sings a certain way but neither one of them sing the way that they sang on Promised Land so
0: Anthony was the singer for Promised Land? yeah
1: oh I thought it was
0: Michael Benson
1: no oh really? Mm -mm. And he claimed it all the time no no no, no. Michael sang on I'll Be There oh I'll
0: Be There okay right
1: so so um, so it became a Joe Smooth record instead of so now originally I was going to do it as an Anthony Thomas record okay but, um, but on the production side, um, Benji came to me and said, "No, Joe, this is production. You should do it as a Joe Smooth record. Wow, don't don't okay. do it as a, you know, do it as a uh, uh, Joe Smooth. Because this is a Joe Smooth. This is something that, like if like if you let's say Mo, you do a a record right. and you produce something, and um, and it's kind of an embodiment really of your sound. Yeah, you know, you may do it as a as or a Maurice Jackson Joshua record, right. featuring. You know." So so that's really where all that came from, where how it became a Joe Smooth project as opposed to an Anthony Thomas wow. record. Okay,
0: so so you touched on Benji, Benji rest in peace, Benji. Yes. Um, he was a huge part at that time. Tell us about Benji and, and you knew and what he did for house music.
1: So Benji Espinosa yeah. was a, um, like I said, rest in peace. He was um he was a strong advocate of house of house music and the okay. Chicago artists. Right. So what he did was, you know, as far as marketing, uh, distribution, he would push the Chicago South, um, like New York, uh, New Jersey, right. um, overseas. Like when the, when the guys from, uh, the UK, um, started hearing the music that was coming from Chicago it was really because of what Benji was doing right. as far as pushing the music. Right. So I think he was a big, played a big factor in getting the sound heard. And what was Benji's
0: title at DJ International at that time?
1: Benji didn't have a title. <laughs> <Benji> <laughs> we don't know what Benji was. No, Benji, Benji owned Quantum Distribution, so he owned the distribution company. Okay. So that was who DJ was distributed through. Ah, okay. So they were just housed in the same... Ah, dish. housed in
0: the same place, and Benji just did all the distribution right. for them. Right. Ah, good, good to know that. So, you were around for the emergence of both house and hip-hop both struggled to get mainstream recognition at first. Why do you think hip-hop got it and House didn't?
1: So I think the biggest reason House didn't get the recognition is because back at that time, Rocky and Larry uh-huh. were trying to brand the labels as opposed to branding the you artists. Got, right. So with hip-hop, you had artists that you could re- see and relate to. Right. With house music you had a sound. Right. But the artists weren't featured. I think Promised Land is really one of the only videos that was done back then. Right. You know, and if um if I, I think if more artists had music videos or um, you know, they were put in the press a little bit more, there were stories created around them, I think house music would've would have developed in a different light than it did. Okay.
0: Now And you was also, one of the trademarks in what Chicago created was Hip House. Yeah. So how, how did that come about? And were you, like in every session with, with Fast 80 at the time, says, since we're going to call him the godfather of Hip House, no. <laughs> um, which is still house music? Yeah. Because uh, I remember everybody's playing that record. That record was huge when it first came out. So what was the stories for from, from then back, you know, creating the, the sound of the Hip House sound?
1: So I mean that was really on, um, you know fast Eddie and you know him as a rapper okay. you know he he wanted to embrace um it was really like a new sound him and Tyree you know right. it was really something new to to do with house music you know you got old records like uh TSOB right. um but this this had a different funkiness to it yeah. you know um, I wasn't in a recession where Eddie, Eddie you know, is, is talented on his own as right. a producer, right. you know, as well, and um, he would come up with his own ideas. You know, at that point, when we were doing with with uh, Fast Eddie, it was me, uh, Peter Black right. was another producer, right. you know, rest right. in, in peace, Peter, Peter, Peter Black, yeah. Black uh, another talented person. Uh, you know, Jerry McAllister came into the fold right? A, 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 um, a bit. You know, so it was a lot of talented people that started coming into DJ International to help with okay. the production and working. Because I couldn't do everything. Right. You know? So you
0: think after that hip-hop sound, Rocky went more commercial with that because he saw the, <clears throat> the success of the hip-hop house being better than just, you know, the for house that you guys were doing earlier?
1: I think... Uh, I think he was just kind of led in whatever direction was, you know, becoming the most popular at at any given point. Um, And the thing is, how do you get house more mainstream? Right, right, right. You know, and so I think it became a challenge. But like I said, the challenge was really in the marketing and the branding that he didn't really wrap his head around. Right. So I think at the time, like I said, he's a you know, a social business person, but he wasn't really on. 100% Hundred percent on top of things. Got gotcha, you, got gotcha. you.
0: And you were famously an <clears throat> owner of the New Warehouse Club. Tell us how that came about, and was was there any drama with using the iconic name and everybody who was going to spend there?
1: So the New Warehouse. So when you talk about the New Warehouse, right. um, that's real. I think really, like when you talk about house heads and stuff like that, right. that's really the generation of where the house heads came from. Okay, is uh, the the new um, Warehouse, and that came about because of just conversations with Rocky and Julian Perez. Um, so all three of us were partners in, in, okay. in the warehouse. Um, and the idea was really a place to be able to play music that we were working on to kind of get it the exposure, right. uh, try to build the music. Right. Uh, for me, like you know, I had studio monitors on the wall you right, know I, right. I wanted to <laughs>
0: right
1: i wanted the sound that i was getting in the studio in the club, the club you know right. and um and i think we created um the warehouse became almost like a destination point right you know because everybody came yeah, to everybody the came, came, came to the warehouse so who was
0: the original djs that first started out at the new warehouse
1: so i was actually the first the main dj upstairs and, before and i had mike i know
0: that
1: was a randolph randolph in the hall right, right. So I was actually the main DJ, Saturday Night DJ, upstairs. And then, um, so I was DJing K Alexi, Armando. um, Mike Dunn, right? Actually Mike Dunn came in in later, later. came in a little bit later. Because what what ended up happening was, it was a lot going on. So I was busy doing a whole bunch of stuff. And Mike, I think was, um, Mike, Almost had a m- more commercially accessible sale. Okay. You know, it was fucking commercially accessible. So we ended up putting Mike upstairs, and then okay. I went and took the underground in the basement downstairs right. so, so I could so, kind of play whatever I wanted to play. So people didn't know it was play. different floors different it levels was, of the warehouse. Right, it was three levels at the warehouse. Right. So I played a little more underground, whatever I wanted to play downstairs. Right. You know. Uh, so the underground in the warehouse kind of almost reminded me of... Um, like Smart Bar originally right. back in the '80s, so you know that was my kind of vibe. Yeah. I right? you know, like the more decadent kind of right. kind of space. Um, but everybody came and played Gene Hunt, yeah. um, Emmanuel, DJ Emanuel. Um, well, Friday played there. Frankie played there. Ron Hardy played there. Wow. <laughs> you know, every, everybody came through the warehouse and played.
0: So be, being uh, the club owner at the time, was there any drama behind the scenes that we don't know of?
1: Was there any drama? There's always drama. There's so always you need, you need drama, drama on, behind the scenes. There was, there was the perfect place. She no, the uh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there really wasn't a lot of. There wasn't really a lot of drama. I mean, I think, I think the only thing that almost happened, Julie and I were going to take over the warehouse, right. <laughs> but, um, but at a point, um, for me, you know, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I, don't, right. you know, for me, I just kind of. Um, Julian stepped out, you know, he he sold his, his percentage of the warehouse okay. and kind of got out of it and started doing other things. It was just uh, sometimes um, you have conflicts right. because, uh, you know, Rocky wanted to go a certain way and we were trying to, we would want to go another way. Right. Like at a point I got out of the warehouse myself, I just, right. you know, like I said, I didn't need... Th-
0: that's funny that you said it because at the warehouse it was different nights. So you right. had like lads in there
1: Come Friday oh, night, right? And then
0: black was the you know the, all the black Thursday, f- right. Saturday. So, which one you think they everybody gravitated more towards the warehouse with?
1: Um, it was both. You know, okay. I, I think both nights, both, you know, all of the nights were very successful right. at the warehouse. You know, um, there really hasn't been another club kind of embodying that spirit of the warehouse like the warehouse was like a family you know okay. and it still is like a lot of the people still partied together right, they used exactly. to go to the warehouse right. you know
0: so Joe name one house record you wish you produced from a creative perspective a, a creative perspective but not sales
1: creative perspective
0: yeah name a record that you think that you know you was like I wish I produced that record hmm
1: what well, was very creative
0: it don't have to be creative. I'm just I'm just saying, it not not from a, a sales point. So it became probably, and it, it sold, you know, a thousand millions, whatever copies. Whatever it sold. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's just something from a record that you'd be like, I wish I did that record.
1: Hmm. I can't really think of any records I wish I did. But, uh... <laughs> from anybody else's like oh, wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah.
0: All right, mm-hmm. so let me ask you this. Name me your top three House
1: records. My top three. I don't really have top three house records. You get I can. I can. I can give you. Uh, I can give you top three producers.
0: <laughs> okay, give
1: me top three producers. Then. So a Lil Louis. Okay. You know, I think he's very talented. Right. Um. I have to say m- me. Okay.
0: Besides yourself. Oh, you beside know. myself. No. Besides okay. Uh. Um, so you got Lil Lewis, <laughs> right come on now the ego kicking in i'm y'all. just i'm just kidding but <laughs>
1: um right so lil lewis right. um i like what um louis vega okay um and uh there's a guy what's the guy uh maurice joshua uh, come on man. no no really no 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 you're one of my top producers i appreciate I, that, that yeah, yeah appreciate absolutely, that. absolutely.
0: Oh, Mm-hmm. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it right here—the legendary Joe Smooth. Thank you for uh, joining the show at Everything House Music and more, Joe. I appreciate this man taking time out doing this for us. And remember, you can see him on all, all on social media. Joe is out and about everywhere. And uh, you have mm-hmm. anything else to sh- uh, say before we close up, Joe?
1: Um, just, uh, just if you if you love the music, apply yourself. Um, you know, don't let. Uh, don't let the obstacles get you down. True. And, you know, you right. have a lot of DJs um, who complain about not being able to play somewhere. Right. You know, I think um, you guys need to create your own lane. Yeah, you you know, know, when when uh, when I first started DJing, there were a million DJs on the south side. Right. And so I went up north and created my own lane in Smart Bar. Correct. You know, and um, not to say, you know, it's the market is oversaturated. And another thing, you know, DJs complaining about not being able to play. There's only so many places, and every DJ can't play. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, because there's only so many places to play. So you know, if everybody was playing, nobody would make any money, and um, this whole culture would, would kind of vanish because nothing, nothing, would, it wouldn't be successful. Right. Because it's right. just there's not enough room for everybody. Right. But create your own lane. You know. Absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, y'all. Y'all heard it there from joe smooth himself y'all so once again thank you joe i appreciate you man god bless